All right, so we've been looking at the, at the future, a picture of the future, glorification, uh, uh, creation, God's people headed towards uh, their wedding. Um, last night we talked about this beautiful picture of a new home um, where there is no more death, there is no more crying, there's no mourning, there's no more tears. Um, we talked about the fact that it's the most um, unlikely that are going to experience this glorious um, future uh, by the grace of God. Uh, so what I want you to do now is um, turn to Micah chapter 4 if you have a Bible, and uh, we're going to um, stand, we're going to give our attention uh, to God's Word as we read. Micah chapter 4, I'm going to start at the first uh, verse. Another beautiful uh, uh, prophetic picture of what's uh, coming. It shall come to pass in the latter days. The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we might walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts is spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of his God. But we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. What a beautiful um, picture. And uh, this is then uh, our reading of God's holy word. You may be seated please. All right, what's your mission? What is your mission? Everybody has a mission. I don't have to encourage you to be on mission because you're on uh, mission. Everybody gets up in the morning, they go out into a day, and they're living according um, to their mission. The question is, <clears throat> is your mission a worthy mission? We know our lives have been uh, immeasurably um, blessed by people who have uh, given themselves, in fact, given their lives to a worthy mission. In the modern era, you think of people like Martin Luther King Jr. and, uh, and Rosa Parks and Fannie Lou Hammer. Um, last summer, uh, my wife and I took a pilgrimage through the South, and we went to Jackson, Mississippi, where we met, uh, went to college, went to graduate school, but there was something I didn't do in the years I was in Jackson that I've regretted ever since. I, uh, I never went to Medgar Evers' house. And uh, so we made arrangements to go to uh, Medgar Evers' house. In 1965, um, Medgar Evers uh, came back from a meeting uh, about the, the segregation of the Jackson public school system. How popular do you think that was, that idea? And... Uh, a smarmy little racist named Byron De La Beckwith was hiding in the bushes across the street from his house, 
And uh, when Medgar Evers got out of his car, De La Beckwith shot him with a high-powered rifle through the back. It pierced through his body. It went in through the window of the house. The hole's still there. Uh, went through the wall, uh, banked off the refrigerator, off the back of the sink, landed in the sink. Medgar Evers staggered into the um, uh, garage, uh, into the carport, uh, and there... Um, um, uh, he was, he lay, in fact, you go there today, his blood is um, still on the concrete. If you're ever, if you're, if you live in Mississippi, you got to go there because you owe this man. We all owe this man and his family. Uh, it's, it's, it, it ought to be like a holy site um, for the sacrifice he made. Um, people give their lives for worthy missions. Everybody's on mission for something. Question is how worthy, because there's a lot of trivial missions out there. Have you seen these um, Star Wars conventions? I mean, they're filled. I mean, there are people my age that got their house filled with, uh, with images of every Star Wars character. Um, there, were, there were more people my age at the latest Star Wars um, movie reliving their um, childhood. Uh, there are people, um, trivial missions, there are people who devote an inordinate amount of time to video games. There are people who... Um, spend uh, a tremendous amount of their energy at their fantasy football league. There are people who, um, who have as a goal to be millionaires. Trivial, utterly trivial missions. There's destructive missions. Uh, those who are in ISIS are on mission, are, are they not? Um, and, and a mission for which they're willing to sacrifice greatly. But it's a destructive um, mission. They're wreaking havoc all over the earth. Hugh Hefner was on mission. He accomplished a lot with his life towards uh, his mission. Planned Parenthood um, is uh, on mission, a destructive mission um, indeed. So if you don't know what your mission is, if you haven't clarified uh, what your mission is, the odds are that you're um, right in tune with the North American uh, mission. You see, North Americans, uh, it's very simple. Matter of fact, it's, it's written in the preamble of the Constitution, isn't it? Um, the pursuit of happiness. That's what the North American mission is. It's, it's my personal well-being, my affluence, and my happiness. Harris Wofford is a former United States senator from the state of Pennsylvania. His name is in the news afresh because a week or two ago, he announced that he's getting married again. He's 90 years old now. He's married for 46 years. His wife died a number of years ago. Of course, what's newsworthy is that he's marrying a man. And uh, this is quite a surprise to his children. And, um, um, and uh, he's 90, the man he's marrying is 40. And, uh, and in an article that he wrote, he said, listen, uh, I found happiness. And isn't that what life's all about? See, that's the North American mission. Uh, it is the pursuit of happiness, your happiness, your personal well-being and happiness. That's what life um, is all about. And you know, one of the ways you can tell that is, um, and you can tell that it's true even in the churches, is just go to small groups anywhere and listen to what people pray about. In any small group, in any, in any North American church, when you gather people and you ask for prayer requests, 80% of the prayer requests have to do with what? Physical health. So-and-so's got a heart bypass, so-and-so's got cancer, so-and-so's got this. God, please take away uh, these ailments. Or it could be about the well-being of our children, or it could be about the fact that we need to sell a house. But... Uh, this is not the way that Jesus taught us how to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be 
thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about you. Yeah, ultimately in the prayer, there's a needy uh, people can cry out, forgive us this day our, our daily bread. God, if you don't feed us, we're not going to make it. But the passion of the prayer is for God's honor. And nobody else in the world prays this way, by the way. This is a distinctly North American um, phenomenon or a Western uh, phenomenon. The people in the world don't ask God to take their cancer away. They, they, their prayers would be much more apt to be, um, God, would you use my cancer? Would you use my suffering? Would you use the travails uh, that we're experiencing to advance your kingdom? Because it's about your kingdom. It's not about how I'm faring. In fact, God, your cancer is a gift. I bear it gladly as a mark of belonging to you. If my cancer will serve to advance your kingdom, then give me cancer and give my whole family cancer. Um, so everybody's on mission. Just a question of what your mission um, is. I'll tell you, churches are dying a slow death for the lack of meaningful mission. Marriages. One of the things I hate about marriage is the modern marriage culture. Oh, it's my day. I'm queen for a day. I am, the day's about me. All my friends would be there. I get to be the center of attention. Um, and, and you got to tell, I, I tell couples before they're married, I tell them right in the middle of the ceremony, if you make your marriage about you, then, um, uh, then your marriage will shrivel and die. You got to have a bigger purpose than your own happiness and joy. The, the love affair that you have together is trivial compared to the broader purpose that you're called together. Your marriage isn't about your personal happiness. Your marriage is about the glorification of God that you'll demonstrate a kind of love before the world that will point them to Jesus Christ. Marriages are dying for uh, the lack of a meaningful um, mission. So the church is to be absorbed with the mission. Jesus was on um, mission. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so what? So send I you. Just as the Father sent me on mission, so I send you on mission. But we can't, um, we can't be about the mission if we don't know what it is. We need missional clarity. My father's generation got a break in that regard, didn't they? And um, my father was at a um, football game in Newark, New Jersey. The Newark Bears were playing. It was a minor league uh, football team. And uh, it was a Sunday afternoon in December, in the early 1940s, when an announcement came over the loudspeaker system that the United States uh, naval base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, had come under attack by the Empire of Japan. What do you think my father did the next day? He did what every other young man of his generation did. He went to the recruiting station in an attempt to... Um, uh, enlist, and ultimately he was successful and, uh, and spent the, the next number of years in, uh, in the South Pacific, right? A very clear, look, clarity as a mission, as a nation, didn't we? If we didn't uh, destroy the Axis powers and the world was, uh, was in dire straits. And everybody went to their battle station, everybody went to mission. Now everybody, right? I mean, there were victory gardens planted, there was rationing, women went to work in the factories uh, so the men could go off uh, and fight in the war on mission. So what is the mission? That's our point tonight. Uh, what is the mission uh, that we're to be about? Um, when I was a, a young guy, I still remember uh, a man saying to me, don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Find out what God's doing and join him and he'll bless it. Don't ask him to bless what you're doing or what you want to do. Find out what he's doing. Join him in it. All right, so what's he doing? That's point number one. What's the mission template? Here's what he's doing. He's mending the world. That's what Jesus came 
to do. God's so passionate about that that he put on flesh and entered the world. That's the mission, the mending of the world, the setting right of what we messed up. The king of the world reasserting his authority uh, to make all things new. So we turn to Micah 4, we read the passage, and we get a beautiful picture, and we'll plow through it real um, quickly. What th- Three things we see in this passage about uh, what a mended world will look like. The first thing is that the mended world, uh, people will delight in God. You see it uh, in chapter 4. It says that in the, um, in the mended world that uh, people will um, go to the mountain of the Lord and uh, they will flow to it. Many nations will come. God will be exalted. God will be worshipped. God will be adored. People will stream to him. It won't be grudgingly. It won't be reluctantly. Um, uh, it'll be with joy. Everybody will see his beauty, his glory, and his splendor. The Bible says what? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody will, be, everybody will delight in God. Everybody will, know that, uh, everybody will know how wonderful our Father is. Um, we live in a world now in which God is in the dock, in which God is on trial. People say, I don't even know if there is a God. If there is a God, I don't like him anyway. Um, not in the mended world. God will be seen uh, for all his beauty. So God will be delighted in, but guess what, in the mended world? We'll delight in each other, too. We'll not only delight in our creator, we'll delight in each other. There'll be authentic community. What does the passage say? It says that, um, um, that all the um, uh, you know, implements of war will be um, destroyed in, uh, in verse 3. The swords into plowshares, the spears into pruning hooks. So um, armament will become used for agriculture. There'll be no more military academies. There'll be no more terrorist training camps. No prisons, no violence, no cruel words, no more guns. I don't know if I want to go. There's no guns. (laughs) You pry my gun out of my cold, dead hands. There'll be no spousal abuse. There'll be no custody fights. There'll be no more tribal or racial separation. We will be one sweet family. Delight in God, delight in each other, and the passage tells us there'll be shalom. Everyone will be, you know, the, the, the picture is when the Bible says every man will sit under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. There'll be peace. Um, there'll be contentment. There'll be safety. Everyone will have enough. There will be no chasm between rich and poor. There'll be no hoarding. Everyone will share. There'll be no humiliating dependency. Everyone will be gainfully employed. There'll be no more discord, no more death, no more crying, no more tears. This is a picture of the beautiful world. So here's the mission. No more let sins or sorrows grow, right? Or thorns infest the ground, right? He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Jesus is coming to mend the earth. Now, why doesn't this move us? I've been preaching for over 30 years, and I can tell you that this glorious message makes almost no ripple. Listen, I know the sermons you preach on them, and they'll sell like crazy. You preach a sermon on homosexuality, uh, and, and your podcast will blow up and people get it. You preach on sex, you preach on, there's all kinds, you preach on Islam, there's all kinds of topics you can preach on. Uh, But when you preach on this, 
Um, listen, the bookstore is, you know, like a ghost town. Nobody goes in there to buy the, the, the sermons. Nobody uh, downloads this. It doesn't move North Americans. Why? Because our longing for the future has been quenched by the prosperity within which we live. Why do we care about going to heaven? Why do we care about the future? We live there. We have health care and food and things like no, nobody on the earth has ever even dreamed of having. We have so much that, uh, that we don't live with any longing. Now, you think it'd be a little different if you lived in the south of Sudan? You know, the south of Sudan is, um, is Christian. The majority, the north, the government is, uh, is Muslim. So they strafe the southern villages. There's um, um, spiritual genocide taking place there. And when the soldiers come in, and they burn, you know, if the soldiers came into your village and burned your home, killed your mom and dad, took your two sisters as, uh, as sex slaves, and, uh, and you had to run into the woods where you spent the next 26 days on a journey to a, a refugee camp seeking safety where there's in, inadequate water, inadequate sanitation, inadequate nutrition, uh, there's no educational possibilities, you've got no family there, you're alone in this world, don't you think every day of that walk to that refugee camp, you'd be saying, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. Take me out of this world. Take me to the, take me to the mended world. Mend this world. Um, it'd be the cry of your heart. And we don't have that in our culture except for when we come all the way to the end of our life and we realize there's no chance to milk this life, uh, uh, anything else out of it. Um, until, you know, I remember um, one of the worst days of my life was when a, um, I got a phone call that said a, a young boy, we just started a high school. We have a Christian school. We just added a ninth grade. We're going to add a high school. One of the ninth grade kids stole something and he got uh, from one of his classmates, so he got suspended. And the day of his suspension, he took his father's gun and shot himself in the head. So I got the call that, uh, that the police were, were there in the ambulance and I hustled over to this house and the medevac helicopter landed. I mean, it's just the most horrible scene you can imagine. They're trying to save his life. They, uh, they medevaced him an hour and a half away to a, a trauma hospital. I took his parents and I put them in, in, in my car and we drove there. You know, what do you talk about for an hour and a half? Praying, crying. We got there to the hospital, I'll never forget, the, the neurosurgeon came in and he sat down with the parents. And uh, it was the sweetest, most tender conversation. So their son was what, about 13, maybe 14 years old, and he looked at them and he said, your baby is not going to make it. Your baby, your baby is not going to recover. We can't put him back together again. The damage is too great. We have to turn off the, 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 the respirator. I'm so sorry. He's your baby. You see, it's only in those moments in our culture that we say what? And I mean, as I sat by that kid's bedside crying my eyes out, thinking I hate the devil, I hate the, I hate the one who would put in the mind of this child to destroy himself. I hate this world. I'm going to tell you somebody that doesn't hate this world. He's a physician too. And you know what? He can put it back together again. As broken as it is, this is Jesus' baby, this world. He made it, and he can fix it. 
He's already started. Got it? That's the second point. What's the timetable for this mending? What's the timetable? What's the mission timetable? When will the mending um, uh, begin? Well, it's right there in the first verse of Micah chapter 4. It says it will come to pass in the what? In the latter days. Well, when are the latter days? Well, the New Testament, listen, the, the, the redemptive timetable is very clear. With the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that is the inauguration of the latter days. We have been in the latter days for 2,000 years. Just like we said the other night, we're betrothed to Jesus, our groom is coming, we're waiting for him to make all things ready to return. So the time of mending of the world has already begun and has been underway for 2,000 um, years. In, in uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in Matthew chapter 4, you know what it says? That Jesus went to every village in Galilee, he went from village to village to village, and he proclaimed the gospel of the, anybody know what he did? The gospel of the kingdom. He didn't go around and proclaim the good news that I've come into the world to die for your sins on a cross, so you have to put your faith in me so that your sins will be forgiven. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an individualistic message. It was, I've come to redeem all of creation. I'm the king. I've come to reclaim everything and heal it all. So much grander, so much more global than I've come just to, you know, uh, to liberate you individually. And, um, um, and then what does the Bible say he did? He, he touched them, and he healed every one of their sicknesses and every one of their diseases. In other words, I've come to declare that I'm going to make all things new. Now let me show you what that'll look like. Um, and so it was inaugurated. Jesus said, you know the kingdom of God has come when uh, demons are cast out, when uh, demoniacs are set free, because you can't steal from the strong man unless you bind the strong man, then you can plunder his house. Um, you remember when John the Baptist is about to have his head cut off and, uh, and he says, are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? And what did um, Jesus say? Uh, send this message back to John. What the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the poor have the gospel preached to them. You see, these are the signs that the kingdom of God has come. It's been inaugurated. Um, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, in the, in the third uh, of the trilogy, the return of the king, Aragorn um, is the rightful claimant uh, of the throne uh, of Gondor, and uh, he enters the city of, of, of Minas uh, Tirith, and um, he has to stay under um, disguise. He can't make his identity um, known, but he goes to the houses of healing, and he finds his soldiers who have been horribly wounded fighting for him. And soldier by soldier, he touches them, and he makes them well. And uh, from across the room, there's, a, there's an old woman, an old um, sage, who, who repeats a, 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 a part of their cultural mythology. The hands of a king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. You'll know when the rightful king comes, because he'll have healing in his hands. So when, when, is the, when is this healing? When is this mending? Well, the mending's underway. You might say, well, why isn't everything mended then? If Jesus came to mend the world, why isn't it mended? Because we're in the in-between. 
right? It's been inaugurated, the mending, but it hasn't been consummated. It hasn't been completed. It started, but it's not done. The first coming and the second coming, we're in the in-between. Listen, if you know anything about World War II, you know that Operation Overlord, once it was completed, we got Allied troops, Canadians, uh, Free French, uh, the U.S. troops onto um, a beachhead on the uh, French beaches on D-Day. Then scholars said at that point the war was uh, ostensibly over. The, the outcome of World War II was without doubt, in Europe at least. But you still, there was still a lot of fighting to be done, right? Um, There's no way at that point Hitler would ever prevail. That's where we are now. The end is known. It's right here in the Bible. The Bible tells us the end. The end is known. It will be a mended world. But we're still marching towards Berlin, right? We're still marching towards the end of the war. Now, I, let me just say one thing quickly here, because people would say, you know, all this sounds good, but I don't see any mending. You're saying it's been going on for 2,000 years, but I don't see any mending. I don't think, I don't think today, modern people today have any clue how horrific the world was when Jesus came into it. Do you realize after three years of ministry that Jesus, all Jesus' followers gather in a room in Jerusalem, and how many are there? There's less than 100. That's after he's been here for three years. There's less than 100. I mean, the world is almost devoid of anyone who knows God. The horror of this world was astounding. And, uh, and within days of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, thousands upon thousands of people are Christ followers. And it has gone on unabated for 2,000 years. And in fact, listen, 100 years ago, virtually 100 years ago, there were no, there were no Christians in Korea. Korea is the most, uh, has the highest percentage Christian population of any place on the planet. Um, China, if not already, will be the largest number of Christians of any nation in the entire world. Sub-Saharan Africa, Christianity is spreading like it has never spread uh, before. Latin America, I was just in Peru. Uh, our tour guide said, uh, you know, Peru used to be um, Catholic. Catholicism came with the Spaniards. He said, um, but Purdue's dominant Christian now. Christianity spreading all over the earth. Sometimes we look at Western culture and we see the, the, the decline here. We have no picture of the way that Christianity, and, and here's my point, you won't see the mending of the world as long as you attribute progress to human ingenuity. Progress in this world has come over the last 2,000 years because Jesus and his people came into this world. Everything has changed in 2,000 years in this world. If you are a woman, you ought to know that. Everywhere Christianity went, the plight of women, the plight of children, the plight of minorities, the plight of the handicapped, completely transformed, healthcare transformed. Everywhere you go in the world, what are the hospitals named? St. Luke's, St. Anthony's, right? Good Samaritan. It's Christians who started universities. It's Christians who brought education. Everywhere Christianity has gone, culture has been transformed. That's not evolutionary progress. It's the progress of the gospel all over the earth. Um, but let me move on. You know, you won't see it as, as long as you attribute progress to merely human ingenuity. But you won't, see it, you won't see the mending of this world unless you've experienced the mender mending you. In other words, unless you're changing, then you won't really believe it. But if you're changing, then you'll know it's true. If you see in yourself love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you, you see in yourself generosity where there used to be stinginess, if you see in yourself a care and concern for people where you just didn't have the, even the emotional ability to connect with people before, if you see anxiety and fear begin to lose their grip on you, then what do you know? The mender is at work, right? If you, if you see a turtle on a fence post, what do you know? It didn't get there by itself, right? <laughs> and so if the mender's mending you, then you'll know the mender has come. And, and, and let me say also, you may not see this mending happening. Many people don't see it because they've never seen a church where mending happens. This is the role of the church. The church is a place where people ought to walk in and say the gospel is true. Look, because broken people are getting healed and getting hope. You know, all there is in this world is broken people. There are not good people and bad people. They're not, put to, they're not productive people and, uh, and unproductive people. There's just broken people. There's broken people who have run to Jesus for healing, and there's broken people who haven't. But that's all there is. And the church is a place where we go and we watch broken people get healed because of the beauty of Jesus. That's why it's, it's uh, insane that churches um, spend their time fighting over meaningless things. I heard of a church that split because they moved the coffee from the like a fellowship hall into a hallway close to the sanctuary. It was a it was a sacrilege, um, and uh, some people were even bringing coffee into the sanctuary. And uh, so the head usher quit. And uh, when the church didn't uh, back the head usher, uh, then all the other ushers quit too, because they moved the coffee. What's that song you were dancing to? What was, the, what was the tagline? Shut up and... You know what Jesus would say to a lot of churches? Why don't you just shut up and mend the world with me? I'm a pastor in the Presbyterian Church in America. I'm thankful for all the good instruction I've got on doctrinal thinking and biblical theology. But you know what? I don't have a lot of time trying to tell Baptist and Methodist and and Pentecostals why we're better than they are. You know, and prove their theology wrong and prove our theology right. You know what? Because there's too much mending to do. There's too many broken people that need the balm of the gospel. And you know what? I need every Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, and Pentecostal I can uh, to join arms with me because we got a lot of mending to do, right? You know, um... Um, a couple years ago, we had an African-American woman um, start coming to our church just in the earliest days in our, our church, and um, her grandma died. Her grandma was an icon in the community. Her grandma was one of those women that uh, sort of raised the children in her whole neighborhood. She had been a school teacher in the segregated school. She had uh, probably kept the community from blowing up uh, in racial tension at any number of points. And uh, this, this woman attending our church loved her grandma. And, uh, and she wanted her grandma buried, her grandma wanted to be buried in the black cemetery. Well, that's the first I ever knew there was such a place. I'd lived in the community probably 25 years at that point. I didn't know there was a black 
cemetery, and neither did a lot of other people because, you know, it came from the day where there was a black cemetery, there was a white cemetery, and, uh, but the black cemetery had fallen into disrepair. Even among most of the black community, they, didn't, they weren't aware of it. So graves were literally grown over with weeds. Trees had fallen down. Uh, uh, headstones uh, were knocked over. Uh, a lot of graves just had wooden kind of headstones that had rotted and, and uh, grave markers, wooden grave markers. And um, unbeknownst to me, a group of people in the church heard about this They got their chainsaws, they got their little tractors, they got all their stuff together. They went down there and they dug out, cleaned up, cut up, uh, and manicured the African-American cemetery um, um, so that that woman's grandma could be buried there among her kin and among her people. And, um, do you know... We have a real, we have the smallest black population per capita in our county of any county in the state of Florida. So it is, the, the African-American community feels incredibly marginalized and unimportant. They have no political or economic power. Do you think it mattered to them that somebody cared? Now, I remember when I heard that folks in our church had done that. And you know what my first thought was? If that's what being a Christian looks like, I want to be one. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a part of that. I want to give my life to mending this broken world. You got it? So that's the last point. The mission timetable, the, we're, the mending's underway, and what then is the mission team? Um, who, are the, um, who are the menders? Well, what does it say? It's, it's a beautiful. Verse 6 and verse 7, it says... I will assemble the lame. I will gather those who have been driven away, the afflicted. And the lame I will make a remnant and the cast off a strong nation. So who are the menders? The nobodies. The one-hour workers. Who are the menders? The menders are those who most need mending. The last thing we do in this world is to go into the world with arrogance and pride because we're the lame, we're the castoffs, we're the nobodies. Who do we think we are? We're just, we're just the menders, the mended, who now take the grace that has been given to us and we're giving it wherever we find um, brokenness. Um, listen, what's the church? The church are the menders of the world. Church is not a place you go. Church is a people who go. Church is not something you do. A lot of people think, yeah, I do church. I'm, I do church all the time. Uh, Sunday, I'm there from 10 to 11.30. I do church 90 minutes a week. Imagine a husband saying to his wife, I do husbanding. <laughs> Tuesdays, 6 to 7.30, Tuesday nights, I'm there. I'll bathe the kids. Uh, you know, count me in, 90 minutes a week, every week. I do husbanding. <laughs> they'd, find him, they'd find him dead in his bed that night, you know. <laughs> um, The church are a people who are about their father's business. The church is on mission. The mission of God is the central organizing purpose of your life. It is a rejection of the North American mission. The aim of life is not my happiness. The aim of life is the kingdom of God. And the amazing thing is Jesus says what? He who gives up his life for my sake actually what? Finds life. The one who abandons um, making life about himself. So um, listen, the church is on mission in the community, on mission with the homeless, on mission with teenage um, pregnant girls, 
The church is on a mission caring for um, the prisoner and, and the ex-prisoner. Um, the church is on uh, mission for those who uh, are in recovery, right? People who have uh, addiction issues, the mentally handicapped, visiting the dying, um, foster care, adoption, guardian ad litem, singing um, to, to uh, the elderly in nursing homes, starting Christian schools, paying the tuition, starting camps uh, for kids in the summer. We are on mission as churches. And let me tell you, but, but we're also on mission in our vocation. If you're going to college, you're not going to college so that you can get a great job. You can make a lot of money and you can live a prosperous life. The reason you're going to college is to learn skills so that you can more effectively mend the world. If you're learning how to be a nurse or physician, the purpose of your is to mend people's bodies, right? To restore them to good health. Or a school teacher, it's to mend minds and hearts. Whatever you're going to do. Listen, we had a guy in our church who worked uh, in the county sewer plant. And it's not what many people dream of doing. I know little kindergartner says that when I grow up, I'm going to work with sewage. And, uh, but I've been in Kibera slum in Kenya. And uh, at one million people in one square mile. And they have no police. They have no education. They have uh, no social structure. They have no uh, water. Uh, they have no sewers. The sewage runs in the street. When you go in Cabrera, you have to put Vicks Vapor Rub under your nose to, to uh, mask the stench. Otherwise, you just vomit uh, if you walked in there. And, uh, and trickling down the, the, the middle of the street, you have, to, you have to straddle the sewer as you walk through there. And it's all slimy and muddy because it spills over the banks and you slip into the sewage. And then what will really turn your um, skin is when you see the little kids with their little water bottles getting their water out of there. So I look at that guy in our church and I tell him, man, you are the minister of sewage. Because almost nowhere else in the world do they treat their water and produce clean water so that people don't get sick. What a ministry. The ministry of our vocations, the roofer who roofs houses so that people have um, safe shelter. Bring a healing and wholeness to a broken world is the purpose of every day of our lives. It's just not what we do with our church group or what we do on a missions trip over spring break. It's what we do with our whole life all day long. What do you think parenting is? It's raising menders of the world, raising kids who have a mindset to go into the world, to mend the world for the glory of King Jesus and for the good of their brothers and sisters in the world. It's all about being a, a loving your neighbor. So... We've got a children's ministry director in our church. She's the most talented um, uh, person we've ever had in this position. She's amazing. She loves Jesus. She inspires our whole staff. And uh, so I get a text from her one day. Her husband's an attorney. He's a school board attorney uh, in our community. But he takes a job in Fort Lauderdale, you know, five hours away. It's the largest school district in America, 650,000 students. Um, he has 45 staff attorneys uh, that will work under him. And, uh, and they're taking this job, and they're going down there. She texts me this, and I text back, and I said, are you nuts? Do you guys have any clue what you're doing? Do you know that the entire school board of Broward County is indicted under federal indictment for corruption? And the entire previous school board is in prison, every single one of them, for, uh, for embezzling money and corruption. Do you know how broken that is? I mean, do you know... What a hellhole you're descending into. Your family ruining your lives. 
And, uh, and I get a text back not very much long later, and she said, I don't know who this is. I don't know who got a hold of my pastor's phone. But would you please give uh, the phone back to my pastor? Because my pastor is always telling us to find the darkest place on the planet and to go there. You don't live in the gated communities. You don't live in the shishi neighborhoods. Um, you, find, uh, you find where the world is broken, and you go there. And it doesn't matter what it costs you, because life on this earth is not our home, ultimately. And, uh, and you go there, and you uh, bring the balm of the gospel to where the world's broken. That's what my pastor tells me. So would you please return his phone to, that you found to my pastor? I mean, that was a great rebuke. Um, and they went. Darn them. Um, <laughs> it got more personal, you know. My, um, the day every father, you know, dreads, my uh, young man calls me up to ask me if he can have my permission to marry my daughter. And... Um, so he calls, you know, and, and, and he hems and haws and spits it out, you know. And, uh, and I said, listen, it's very simple. This is the way it goes. You love her. You care for her. You're good to her. We're good. You don't. I got a friend named Liam Neeson, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's it. It's very tidy. You know, he asks, I make a threat or two, and the permission's granted, and everybody knows how this rolls, right? He has the nerve to say, well, could I get a little clarification? You're a nobody to me. You're nobody to me. Don't ask me for <laughs> clarification. You're nothing. He says, can I get a little clarification? You, know, you said if I take care of your daughter, I'm, I'm good with you. But he said, when we get married, we intend to move to the worst neighborhood, the most crime-ridden, blighted neighborhood, where it's dangerous. So if I take your daughter and your grandchildren to live there, will I get a hard time from you? Will you consider that taking care of your daughter? And God gave me grace in the moment to say this. Eric, if you don't take my daughter and my grandchildren there, then you're not taking care of them. Because the North American materialistic culture is the greatest danger to their souls. So you have to take them there. Taking care of my daughter means that you're on mission. So Summer Conference 2016, you're on mission for something. It's just a matter of whether you're on the right one. It's just a matter of whether you've joined Jesus. Jesus says to you this night, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. <laughs> 